Thank you, Laurel. I, I have this app on my phone because I like listening to the scripture read to me, and they, it reads like listening to it. And I can tell you, I would rather have Laurel and a lot of the other scripture readers here read to me <laughs> than this guy on my app. So thank you for doing that. And, I, and this goes for the other scripture readers we have here too. They just such a, maybe it's because I know you, maybe that's part of it. And uh, it's just nice to have it read to me. So thank you. And thanks to the worship team. You know, you guys are great. This is uh, really beautiful this morning. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Jesus, you said, um, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Father, we want to take this morning, this Sunday morning, as a time of rest and a time of uh, taking your yoke on us that is, uh, that is easy and light. No, you didn't promise us an easy life, but you did promise us an easy yoke. And we can uh, walk and and plow and till whatever we need to do and uh, while well, you um, uh, you bear the the weight of all that and uh, take it off of us so father this morning uh, we choose again the path of an apprentice of a disciple we ask that you teach us to love you with all of our mind and our heart and our body and our strength Help us to imitate and include you as we plan in our diaries and make our to-do lists, as we waste time on our phone and computers, and as we walk through the neighborhood, we ask that you shape our lives around these unforced rhythms of grace. Father, we ask and we pray for all the gatherings this morning that are here to, they're not only here in, in our immediate context, but around the world who are calling together to worship you and uh, to hear your word read and uh, the, the gospel preached. We thank you for the millions who will be learning and hearing and praising you today. We ask that you speak powerfully to convict us, to comfort us, and to change our minds to be like yours. And Jesus, today we pray for, I want to pray for the children in our church and the children also around the world, we thank you that you always have put them first, and we ask that you help us as adults to learn to be more trusting like them and humble like them and more playful like them. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to revive us today, that you inspire the people around us, especially those with power and authority, that you give them ideas that will change the world for good and, uh, and not cause suffering. And so, Father, we thank you for this morning, for each person here who's, uh, who follows you, and that uh, every one of us in all the days of our lives will continue to love you. We thank you that you have revealed your truth in your Son. We thank you that you sustain us with your grace, and we thank you for the evidence of your Spirit's leading in the events in our lives the happenings that seem like coincidences at the time, but when we look back, we see your hand. And so, Father, we want to accept your leading. We want to accept your guidance uh, because we know it will be good. And uh, we ask that you be with us this morning 
as we, uh, we look at this important theme that uh, you guide us and encourage our hearts today. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We are back um, with, we've, after taking a pretty good break from the, from the topic of hope, uh, I want to conclude, we're going to finish our last lap beginning today, uh, this last lap on the hope, on the theme of hope, which is a dominant theme in Scripture. Uh, it's a very important theme of Scripture. Uh, but what we're going to do uh, today is I want to review because it's been a while. We've been out of the building for a couple of weeks, and uh, we had Lynn come in and schedule last week, which was great. But we're kind of getting back into it, so I thought it would be good if we kind of just pick back up a little bit of uh, where we live. So I just want to do a quick review. We talked about what hope is not at the beginning. Uh, it is not a blind leap in the dark. It's not that you say, well, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to hope that this stock doubles, you know, in the next year, even though the evidence says otherwise. You know, it's not just some blind leap. It's not a prediction saying, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it doesn't rain tomorrow. It's not a predicting that you're, this is going to happen. It's not just optimism that uh, just says, well, you know, it's not that bad. It's, you know, there's still some good in that. You're looking for the silver lining. Uh, it's not just optimism. It's not barreling forward. It's not gritting your teeth and saying, you know, get over it, get on with it, move on with it. Uh, it's not toxic positivity. We talked about that a few, a uh, couple of months ago where, you know, you, somebody's facing a crisis and you say, oh, well, at least you had 20 years together. You know, that, that's not helpful. Um, you know, trying to be positive when things really are not that positive. It's not just solace, you know, just to comfort you. And I, you know, like my daughter lives in England and they think that everything is solved by a cup of tea. Well, that's not true either. Uh, that's, not, that's not hope. And it's not future-proofing. It's not saying that, that uh, we've, we've anticipated every contingency. We've, we've looked at every option and all the outcomes have been, in, been examined and we know this is going to happen. That is not what hope is. Uh, I quoted Dr. Joseph Bieso. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Maybe he's Italian. Uh, he's a surgeon in, in San Diego. And he says, it, I always say that hope is the bridge between the impossible and the possible. That what looks maybe impossible, hope can bring us into something that is actually real and actually hopeful. Uh, one of the books that I, I highly recommend, Hope Rising, uh, it's, it's one that I really just learned a lot, and I really recommend this, written by Casey Gwynn and Chan Hellman. Uh, Chan Hellman is the psychologist at the University of Oklahoma. <clears throat> In spite of him being from Oklahoma, it's a really good book. Um, <clears throat> but uh, they define hope this way. Hope is the belief that your future can be brighter and better than your past and that you actually have a role to play in making it better. In other words, uh, hope is what we do as Christians. We do hope. Hope is, that's, what, that's our calling card, is hope. And hope is what we do, emphasis on the action. It's not something we just sit back for, uh, with and wait for it to happen. We actually have an active role in, in hope is what we do. Uh, the book Hope Rising, they include this, this graph that I put up uh, a couple of months ago where hope is this, you have this desirable goal. And everything we do really is a goal. Even getting out of bed in the morning is a goal. Having breakfast is a goal. Uh, but this is the desirable goal, but it requires also our willpower, our intention to do something, and it also requires a pathway, a way to accomplish it. And I, I mentioned last week the kind of uh, humorously, hopefully, that, um, you know, my desirable goal was to be a Dallas Cowboy, but... Um, 
my pathway, I did not have any pathway to that, okay? So I had to change my goal because the pathways were all closed off to me. So I had to look at something else to do and, uh, and, and reach before that goal and, and being a receiver for the Dallas Cowboys was not going to happen. So I found that out really quick. Uh, <clears throat> when I did my pastoral internship, I did it in uh, Baltimore, just north of Baltimore, because I'm an Orioles fan, a Baltimore Orioles fan, and that's, so that's why God called me to Baltimore. Uh, but I went up there to do my pastoral internship, and it was a great summer. I had a great time up there. It was a, I worked under a, a man who was just really wise and very helpful, but I also got to see a lot of things. I got to see the Atlantic Ocean, go to Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, I got to see Washington, D.C., got to visit the Amish community and all these kind of things. And I also visited the, um, the Naval Academy in Annapolis. And I didn't see this particular event, but I heard about it. And every year, the first year class called the Plebes, they have to do this task uh, before they can move on to the second year. And they have to come together as a class and in the, in the grounds, there is this, this column, this 21-foot column. And what they have to do is they work together to take uh, the plebe's hat off the top of the column, take it off, and then put the midshipman's hat on top. And that's when they, they are no longer plebes. They become midshipmen at that point. Uh, the thing is, they cover that column, the obelisk, with grease and water. And uh, so they, they all have to fight to do it. And uh, I think uh, the, the record is like a little over an hour. The slowest time, they said, if I did my research right, is 1998. It took them over four hours to do it. So uh, just to have a, um, a little look at what this, what this is all about. And if this works, uh, I'll take credit for it. Uh, if it doesn't, I'll blame Bob Deus because he gave me step-by-step -step instructions. So... <laughs> How many of you were like anticipating this, you know, getting the hat on, getting the hat on? To me, that looks more like hope than that nice chart I just showed. Uh, the nice chart is like, oh, it's just a nice formula. I do this to put these things in the graphs and I've got, you know, it's, it's all good. Hope looks more like that. Uh, it's just working together, trying to get it together. Sometimes it takes an hour, sometimes it takes four hours. Um, I've entitled this last lap about hope called Hope Beyond Help. Hope Beyond, I'm sorry, Hope Beyond Hope. And my, um, my point is that, that we're going to look at the Christian hope this last few weeks in the summer, uh, this hope that is beyond hope. And that's why I asked Laurel to read Psalm 72. Uh, it's a, it, is a, it is a psalm. It, the, the title says, By Solomon or For Solomon. It's kind of hard to say. Uh, but the point is, Solomon fulfilled some of it, but not all of it. And uh, it quickly became a messianic song, meaning a psalm about the Messiah who was coming. In fact, Mary quotes it in Luke. Uh, there's Mary quoting this psalm or parts of this psalm to give the idea. And the idea is that this is what our hope is all about. Ultimately, is this Christian hope. And, and what I want to do this morning is what do, ask the question, what do you do when you're just not feeling it? When you, you're in a process and you're just going, I'm just not feeling it, that I know what the hope, what does it, what does it take? Uh, when, how, does it, how does it feel when, when you, you're in for it the long haul and hope doesn't seem to be there? Or is hope required for you to, to persevere and go on without it and go on with it? Um, 
Is it, uh, does, does it need something else for me to finish, for me to persevere? Do I need something if hope doesn't exist or if hope flees away from me and I, don't, I have no longer hope, I'm just hopeless? Is there anything else to take its place to help me do that? So that's what I wanted to look at this morning. Uh, when we talk about losing hope and, and needing hope, there's basically three transitions that I've, anyway, I'm gonna classify them as three transitions that, that tend to do that, that tend to frustrate us and tend to, maybe damage or, or rob us of hope. One is disruption. And I'm decided to use the metaphor of the Hood River Bridge here, okay? Let's suppose that our hope is to get over to White Salmon. Pretend that you're hoping that. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding all you White Salmon people. I'm just kidding, just kidding. It's just teasing. That's uh, so you want to get over to White Salmon. And there's this disruption. There's a fender bender on the bridge. And, uh, but you know there's a crisis. But you also know that if you just wait, the crisis will, will fix itself and you will be able to cross the bridge, no problem. Uh, you just kind of sit back there. Uh, the other transition is a displacement. That means, what I mean by that is that there is a bigger crisis. You know, there's a, there's, the bridge is down and there's no way of getting across. But you can still get across. You can go down to the Bridge of the Gods or you can go to the Dow's Bridge and you can, uh, you can get there. But there might be, you might have to pay an extra toll that you didn't count on or the restaurant you were going to eat at is not there anymore. Your kids are cranky in the back seats. But you are going to get there to your destination, sort of. Uh, you really won't get to your destination. You'll get to someplace else. You might get to, to Stevenson or you might get to Lyle or someplace like that instead. But you make do. You know, you kind, of, you kind of make some adjustments that. Destruction, that's the most self-explanatory, but it's also uh, the most painful. That's when there is no other remedy. You're, something has destroyed where all the bridges have been washed out, for example, and there is no way. And so you either have to, you know, build a raft or something to get across, or you have to swim if you want to do that, or you have to just be content to stay where you are. And that is the one that's really hard for us. This is the one that's, that's, that's very destructive. Disruption, uh, patience, and hope are almost the same thing. You know, you just have to have patience to wait it out. Uh, displacement, you can uh, make adjustments, you can make changes, you can change your goal like I did, or you know, change your pathways. You might experiment, you might get help from other people. But destruction is like, what are you gonna do? There's really nothing you can do except persist, except to hang on there. And that is the one that requires the most reckless hope, the most robust hope, because there are, doesn't seem to be any more options. Uh, the Bible contains all three, and usually our crises are kind of, a, kind of a mixture of all three. But destruction is when you just think, I don't have any, um, it takes on a different tone with destruction, and you just kind of have to, Thing, sit there and, and wait it out. And I think what we can do, what I'm going to suggest, is that we embody hope in those situations, that we live it, that we take it in and we, we live hope in our lives as if the hope has been realized. Uh, we embody hope as a protest uh, that says no to something. And there's a couple of prophets in the Old Testament that I would lose as ex use as examples here. And one of them is Jeremiah. 
the, country, the nation of Israel has been taken off to captivity. They've been defeated. They've been taken out of the promised land, the land that God promised, the, God that, the land that God provided. And now Babylon has taken them away. And uh, they, are, they are even out of the land. And so what are they going to do? And so Jeremiah's, um, Jeremiah's uh, instructions are sad. His prophecies are sad. But he also has some really interesting instructions for them. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and allow your daughters to get married so that they can have sons and daughters. Grow in number. Do not dwindle away. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you will prosper. He's telling them to live as if the future existed now. He's saying them to live as if God has fulfilled it. God, Jeremiah does not have any foreknowledge. He doesn't know if, the, if this is going to end or when it's going to end, but he's saying live as if the future has been fulfilled. The other prophet is Daniel. Daniel also was in the Babylonian captivity. He was working in the government, and he was educated by the Babylonians. He lived there. He worked with the government. He worked with the, the, the king. Everything was fine, except he drew the line when they asked him to cross over into idolatry. By giving him food to eat from the, that's, been worship, that's been dedicated to idols, Daniel, crossed, Daniel says, that's the line. I will not cross. And I think that's great advice for us, too. In, in, this, in our society, we live, we work, we go to school, we, edu we get educated, we educate, we live. But there's a point where we say no, where we don't cross the line into idolatry, that we just say no. And what I think this is, what these prophets are telling us that is that you live as if the future was realized now. You embody it, but you also have a point where you say, this is where it stops. You say no to the idea, you say no to the idea that God has abandoned his people. You say no, he has not abandoned his people. You say no to the idea that God has left his people adrift to just, just float around without any, without any purpose. We say no to that. We say no to the idea that God has abandoned his people. We embody hope even when it's sloppy. Even when it's sloppy, slow and sloppy. And it doesn't look good. Uh, we love to um, um, celebrate the records and winners and victors. We love doing that. Uh, one of my most thrilling baseball moments was, was going to the, right before we left for Costa Rica, we went with some friends to go see uh, the Rangers play, Texas Rangers play, and uh, uh, Nolan Ryan was just on the cusp of his 5,000th strikeout. And we were there when Nolan Ryan stuck at, struck out Ricky Henderson for his 5,000th strikeout. And Ricky Henderson, said, Ricky Henderson said, well, if you ain't been struck out by Nolan Ryan, you ain't nobody. So... <laughs> He's right. And, and we, it was a huge celebration. George Bush was on the TV and the big screen TV congratulating Nolan Ryan. It was, it was really thrilling. Great, great, great time. And we love celebrating that. I, I found a clip on it. I'm not going to show it, but I found this clip on it and just having all the people there and I remember it so well. Um, but there was another pitcher on the staff uh, named Gaylord Perry. And uh, Gaylord Perry... Uh, was a cigarette-smoking baseball player. And people ask him, is that good for an athlete to smoke cigarettes? And he goes, I'm not an athlete, I'm a baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
He pitched 22 seasons in the major leagues, 22 years in the major leagues, and as, as an old guy, but he was a junk ball thrower. He, uh, he, wasn't a, he never had a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. He just threw, he just mastered the knuckleball. And he would, used to say that, uh, yeah, Nolan Ryan and I, we have uh, five no-hitters between us. Nolan Ryan had all five, but, uh, but he said between us we had five no-hitters. And I'm thinking if you want to know drama and grit and, and stick to it in this, you look at people like Gaylord Perry. I mean, we cheer the, the marathon runners that run across the, the finish line, and we're, we're thrilled about that. Uh, but if you want drama and grit, you look at those people who are in the end, who are fighting the blisters, who are fighting the exhaustion after the water stations have closed and the crowds have thinned and all that. These guys, they just keep going and finish off. And I don't think we honor those people enough. That... That uh, climb, the Herndon climb on, the, on, the, on the, the column there, there's some groups that made it in an hour, but there's some groups that took three, four hours to do it. And I really wonder if that those groups are the ones who learned the lessons they were supposed to learn. The ones who faced the failure, the setbacks, having to change roles. I don't know if you noticed it, but there was one guy who was trying to get the hat on and then the next time there was ne different people who were, who were supporting them. They had to change roles. They had to change you know, their strategy. I wonder if they're the ones who really learned about hope and really learned those lessons like that. The ones who have to face those setbacks and ha face the, the, the failures and how to overcome them. I, I have this friend who um, uh, her daughter is, uh, had suffers from severe depression through middle school and high school, uh, self-harming, that kind of thing. And uh, it was just really weighed on her for years and years and years. And um, she went off to college, finished her first year in college. And I asked her recently, I said, how is she doing? And she goes, she is rocking college. She is doing so well there. And then she told me this. She said, she's not doing well despite her struggles, despite her tough slog. She's doing well because of it. And she was able to overcome those barriers and then succeed, apparently. And, of course, you know, stormy, stormy waters can come again. But she's succeeding in that because of what she struggled through. She just kept on persisting. We embody hope when we persist, when you keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we have this kind of running joke, and I've shared this with the church, with you guys before, but we have this sort of running line in our family that when something wasn't really great, uh, it started off with my wife making uh, flapjacks, British-style flapjacks for our British friends. And uh, we were eating them, you know, and, and she says, well, Stephen, what do you think? And Stephen goes, who's totally honest with us all the time, says, well, it's not your best effort, is it? <laughs> and so we always use that line, you know, when, when something is not really great, we say, well, it wasn't your best effort. And so if I ask Sue, you know, Sunday, well, how was the sermon? Well, it wasn't your best effort. <laughs> so I know that. And then when, and when people tell you, well, you're doing your best, that's supposed to be grace. That's supposed to be, you know, kind of encouraging to you. Says, well, you know, you're doing the best you can. 
And I never take that as encouragement. I take that as like, okay, I have failed, and that's, the, that's all I can do. I am the best I can. I'm as a failure, you know. I never really like that very much when people tell me that. But sometimes okay is okay. Sometimes doing your, doing your best is, is the okayest you can do. And sometimes we have to just keep walking on. No more conversations. We don't do any more investigation. We just keep doing one step at a time. We just keep moving on, moving on, nothing, nothing more. And we just ask ourselves, instead of asking ourselves, how much longer do I have to do this? We just say, we do it as long as necessary. And we just keep doing it as long as it is necessary. And I, I feel that way about my friend and the daughter. She just stay with, she would never stop loving her. Even when she was ornery and dismissive and yelling and, de and depressed, she never stopped loving her. I will do this as long as it takes. And sometimes we just have to do that. And the last one, we embody hope when we trust the one who has the last word. And that's really what it comes down to, this last theme, this last lap that we're making on hope. This is what it comes down to, is that in the Christian story, the worst is never the last thing. In the Christian story, the worst you can imagine, the worst that happens to you is never the last thing that will happen to you. And Sue, Sue's line is, the story is not over. Whenever we get upset, she will always tell us, the story is not over. The worst is, in the Christian life, the worst is never the last thing. Um, Everybody knows the, the famous line of, of Gandalf the Grey in Lord of the Rings, another Lord of the Rings reference here. Uh, and he's, he's facing the evil, the, ba the, the Balrog, you know, at the, at the bridge. And he lays down his staff. He says, you shall not pass. Uh, he later said, I, th I thought that was different. It's different than the book. In the book, he says, you cannot pass. And Ian McClellan says, I, I, it's a blooper, actually. I, I screwed up the line. But it turned out Jackson liked it better. And I like it better because it kind of communicates the idea better. You shall not pass. Because cannot means that maybe he didn't have the ability. But this was like he was standing firm and says, you shall not pass. You will not have to be able to do this. And we know that they do not have the last word. Despair and destruction do not have the last word for the Christian. They do not have the last word. Um, there's another last word that I want to share with you. It's um, that doesn't have the last word. Bishop Tutu, you know, one of the voices in the, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, uh, they were having an anti-apartheid rally and the government canceled it. They said they couldn't do it. So what did Bishop Tutu did? They went into a church and had a church service instead because the censorship rules don't apply into a church. So they did it in the church, and he said the, 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 the church was lined with uh, policemen. And so he stands up and he says, he says, tells the policemen around here, he says, you are powerful, you are very powerful, but you're not God's. And I serve a God who cannot be mocked. So since you've already lost, since you've already lost, I invite you today to come and join the winning side. And with that, the congregation just erupted with singing and dancing and worship. 
He was saying, that doesn't have the last word. God has the last word. He always has the last word. In Mark, uh, Mark does this really wonderful thing in his story in the Gospel of Mark where he, he, he pairs things up, you know, whether it's uh, casting out demons or healings or uh, crossing the sea. There's always two of them, and they book in different stories to communicate a point. Well, in Mark chapter, chapter 4 is the story, the first one of them crossing the sea. And everybody knows the story. A lot of people know the story where the storms start coming up and start blowing the boat around and everything. And they wake Jesus up. Aren't you afraid? Are you, no, you're not afraid that we're going we're gonna to drown here, you know? And he calms the sea. He calms the storm and the winds. And then Mark says, and the, and the disciples were overwhelmed with fear. Now, have you ever noticed that they were afraid after the storm was calmed? And you think, why were they afraid after the storm and not during the storm? Why were they overcome with fear then? And I think they realized, because then they start asking with this, you know, shaking in their voice, I'm sure, who is this? Who is this man? And I think that's why they were afraid because they knew that the same person who could calm the storm could also cause the storm. Now, I'm not saying that God causes the storm or caused the storm. I'm not saying he's a thug that will do things to us and teach us a lesson or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that they, didn't, they recognized who this person was. And they also recognized that this person could not and would not promise smooth sailing from here on out. In fact, it's going to be tough. In fact, the storm is going to rise again, but not literally like in the sea. But at the end of this story, they land in the, in the land of the Gentiles and they face a man possessed by a legion of demons. And I think they were afraid, thinking, wow, we can't get off this boat. We have signed up for this. And it's going to get it's going to get hairy and it's going to get rough but there's no place I'd rather be there's no place I'd rather be than with this man and of course they were afraid of course so as we come to this last section on hope I want to invite you to go back and read the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation because that's the last word. And what we see is this incredibly beautiful, compelling scene where every tear of every eye is dried. That is the scene, that is the last word. That is the scene we are looking forward to. That is the hope beyond hope, where every tear of every eye is dried. The worst thing in the Christian story is never the last thing. This is the last thing. That despair and destruction do not have the last word. And we stay with the man in the boat because love requires it. And most of you and me have gambled our life on this. I mean, let's face it, we don't know any of this 
for sure. You know, it's not proven. But I know it in my heart. And I've gambled my life on it. And if I find out that God doesn't exist, I'm going to be really mad. But I'm also going to say, if this doesn't happen, it should happen because it should happen. This is the way it should be. And this is the last word. This is the last word we have. In the Christian story, the worst thing is never the last thing. And we have gambled our lives on this. But there's no place I'd rather be. And I hope you can say that too. That yeah, God did not promise us smooth sailing. But there's no place I'd rather be than here with him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this promise. And you know that we live with doubts. You know that we live with, with uh, stormy seas. And, but there's no place that's more secure than with you. And so we signed up for something that's so much bigger than ourselves because this is where we want to be. And we thank you for your grace and your love. And his love requires us to be here. And we want to live that future now. In Jesus' name, amen.